This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Um, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at that last part of this chapter. Alright. Oops, sorry about that. There we go. Let's pray. Father, we do... Love you. Lord, we're so thankful for your love for us. Thank you for blessing us once again with this time of fellowship. Once again with the opportunity to come together and partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. And Lord, we pray that in all that we do here, Father, in the study of your, your Word, the breaking of bread, prayers, Lord, that we will be put in remembrance of all that You've done in our behalf through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that our hearts be stirred with thanksgiving to You for Your grace. Again, we pray and enable us to be fully engaged here. May our, may our hearts, affections be engaged in all of these things that we do. May it be true worship. Be honored, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> okay, before I start, as I said, in, any questions on <clears throat> what we've, uh, our comments, if any, on what we've uh, covered so far in these first four chapters? Lord willing, we're about to wrap up chapter four here and uh, move on to chapter five next week. All right, everybody's got it. All down pat. <laughs> uh huh. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah, isn't it encouraging that we're not the only dummies um, <clears throat> in church history? I mean, people do some dumb things, right? Other people. I mean, not. <laughs> No, but really, you you, re, you read some of the things that are going on in Corinthian in the church at Corinth, and um, you know they're tragic things. When we get into chapter five, um, you, you especially you start getting into some things that are just unbelievable. But as as Sheila said, it's um, it's 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 encouraging. Um, tragic as it is. Uh, 
it, the, the, the reality of it, you know, the, the genuineness of it. It's, it's, like, it's like reading the Old Testament. You read about characters like Abraham and David and on and on and on, and they're not perfect. They're not perfect. And, and yet, mightily used by God. And that's one way that he's glorified. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's encouraging. He uses us in spite of us, not, not because of who we are, right? Doesn't. All right. Anybody else? Okay. And yeah, that's a good thought. Well, I appreciate that. But I have some questions that I want. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Lord is good, I tell you. Um, it's like I was just saying, the, the, the Lord uses us and in spite of ourselves. That's, that's, that's an awesome thing to me. Um, and, uh, you know, when Paul says to the Corinthians... Um, you know, there are not, not many wise among you, not many noble among you. And uh, I think, boy, that's, that's me for sure. And, you know, that's, that's us. God, God didn't choose us because we were wise and noble and all that, um, good looking or whatever. Um, he, just, he just chose broken, you know, worthless vessels, um, otherwise worthless, and set us apart for His own glory. Again, <laughs> to His praise and glory. That's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's encouraging, though. The Scripture that you read this morning in Philippians about, not that I've already obtained it, but yeah. I've already become perfect, but I've been conquered. Yeah. I mean, that's not encouraging. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Even the Apostle Paul could say, I've not yet attained, right? That's right. Amen. It's good. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, that was Paul. Okay. Well, let's look at verse. Um, pick up in verse fourteen here. Um, I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, uh, sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so um, again, we're, we're, we're picking up at the uh, 
uh, kind of in the middle of, of uh, Paul's rebuke here again to the to the Corinthians, and we discussed um, verses eight through thirteen primarily this morning, uh, where Paul employs sarcasm to uh, to basically indict them and their false thinking and their false attitude, uh, their their wrong attitude toward him. And now he says. Uh, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. So, it might sound a little strange, you know, the first part of that statement, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. It, it certainly sounds like, especially when you go back to verse 8, um, certainly sounds like he's trying to make them ashamed, doesn't it? Uh, and, and, in fact, if you look down in chapter 6, um, let's see... Verse 5, I say this to your shame. <laughs> when, when he's talking about um, them bringing lawsuits against each other, it's a, a shameful act. Um, so what is he saying here in, in verse 14? I, I think the idea is here he's, he's not trying to beat them down. What, what he's offering is uh, admonition, a, a fatherly corrective rebuke with their good at heart um, because uh, they're, they're straying from the truth here. They they're, are at least are being tempted to stray. They're, they're, they're definitely not living out the kind of, the kind of uh, humility and the kind of love that he goes on to talk about in chapters 12 and 13. Um, and so he's offering an admonition. I write these things to admonish you as my beloved children. So this this is corrective discipline. Now, we're going to talk some more about that, uh, again, Lord willing, next week when, when we get into this case of uh, the, uh, the immorality that this one member of the church of Corinth is involved in, this one man is, is committing. Uh, well, two, you count as his partner, right? A man and woman involved in immorality. Um, and we're going to see another uh, form of corrective discipline. But here, um, again, it's verbal. Paul is just exhorting and admonishing. I write these things to admonish you as my beloved children. In other words, he wants them to do the right thing. It's, it is corrective, not, not designed to... Um, not designed to destroy them. Not designed to 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 uh, beat them down. I don't want to make you ashamed in that sense. For though you have countless guides, he says in verse 15, uh, possibly referring to some of the teachers that are causing some of the trouble. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I, be, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now he's he's already said in his in the metaphors that he's used describing the church. He's described himself as the master builder, right? As the plant, the planter. And in, in a, a literal description, not a metaphor, but he says, "I came to you, my, I came to you, bringing uh, the gospel in demonstration of power and of the Holy Spirit." So, in other words, he's he's the the founder, you could say, of the church at, at Corinth. So he's their father in a spiritual sense. That is. It was through Paul's ministry that they came to know Christ. 
not not that they called him father in the sense that uh, you know some liturgical churches do today, and and uh, and they'll use passages like this to justify it. But uh, but he's he's not talking here about a an, an office. He's talking about a relationship. I'm, I'm, you may have many guides, but you only have one father. It was only one that originally brought you the gospel. Only one through whom the Lord Jesus um, saved you, through whose, through whose testimony the Lord Jesus saved you. So he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, reminding them of what it is that has changed their life. I urge you then, verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, have you ever read that and, and uh, just kind of been taken back by that? I mean, we were just talking about, you know, even, even Paul said, you know, I've, I've, not, I've not arrived, I've not attained, I, I keep pressing forward, pressing toward the mark. Um, and yet, he says very bluntly, very boldly, be imitators of me. The word there is mimics, mimic, mimic me, mimic me. That's that's a bold statement in it. Act like me. <laughs> I'm not I've not heard too many preachers say that. I don't think I've ever said that. But listen, in one sense, every Christian ought to be able to say that. Every Christian ought to be able to say that to other people. In fact, um, look real quickly at, at uh, for a little clarification, okay? Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or as some put it, follow me as I follow Christ. So, there's, I think, a little bit of... Qualification. In other words, as Paul follows Christ, he wants the Corinthians to follow him. So, first and foremost, it's being imitators of, of Christ. And insofar as Paul does that, um, they are to imitate him. And that's the sense in which we ought to all be able to say it. That is, we ought to be committed, like Paul, to living out the gospel, to living for the glory of God. And thus, to say, based on that, as I follow Christ, follow me. Now, keep in mind here the, the contrast that we've been talking about this morning, because that's what he has in view here. They are acting contrary to the gospel. They're acting contrary to uh, the Christian life. They're puffed up. He mentions that again in verse 18. Some are arrogant. That is, puffed up, full of pride. Well, that's, that's the opposite of Paul's demeanor. More importantly, it's the opposite of, of the, uh, the, uh, the character of our Lord. So, Paul says, with those things in mind, be imitators of me. That is, act like me. Why? Because he's being faithful to the gospel. He's representing it faithfully. He's, he's presenting it faithfully. That is, his teaching is on the mark. And we said earlier on, and this this uh, um, unique to his office, but um, for in Paul's case, for them to reject his teaching is to reject the gospel. 
So there, there's, there's a, you know, they're, they're one and the same. Sense in here, here in which they're synonymous. So he says, follow me as I follow Christ, or here be imitators of me. And that is why, verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, what are his ways? And I want us to think about this two, two ways. Um, first, again, in light of what we talked about this morning. So if you look, if you look back up at um, verse 9, with, with, that, with that exhortation in, in mind, mimic me, imitate me. Look at verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Right? We are fools, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, why is that? Why does Paul and the other apostles, even Jesus, his ministry, why, why, does, why do they suffer all of those things? Go ahead. Somebody's got, Sheila's got an answer. <laughs> For the glory of God, right. Two, two things that we, we say quite often. For the spiritual welfare, welfare of others, right? In other words, they're, they're living these things out for the furtherance of the kingdom. Paul says, I, I suffer these things for the sake of the elect. He wants people to be evangelized. He wants people to come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's willing to go in cities where he would suffer persecution. Corinth was one of them. You go back and read Acts 18. He's willing to go in cities where he would suffer persecution so that people there can hear the gospel and be saved. And, as Sheila just pointed out, also for the glory of God, which is the ultimate, the ultimate goal. Suffer these things because in my weakness, God is shown to be strong. Right? In our weakness, God's power is manifest. It does. As Paul says, it does. It looks foolish to the world. A man comes in, preaches a message. He's literally stoned. You know, has rocks thrown at him, or he's beaten with rods, or whatever the case is. Doesn't look like a successful ministry. But out of that, God uses that to bring a handful of people to saving knowledge of Christ. And a church is born, like it was here in Corinth. And then those people begin to reach out to other people, and the church grows. And then they begin to reach outside of their region, and the church spreads. Paul is willing to suffer these things for the benefit 
of other people and for the glory of God. In his final talk with the, uh, with the elders from Ephesus in Acts 20, he said, Brothers, I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my course with joy. That's, that's his mindset. What he counted dear, again, was those two things. The welfare of others, that others would come to know Christ, and the glory of God. For me, for me to live is Christ. That is, my life is consumed with the will of God. My life is consumed with glorifying Jesus, with making Jesus known. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So if somebody persecutes him to the point of death, which they did eventually, he's, he's, uh, he's executed, he's put to death, again, it's for the glory of God. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he has those things in view. He, he suffers these things not because, uh, you know, some morbid mindset. You know, he likes to be beaten. He likes to that's, get attention that way. That's not the case. He's not trying to make a name for himself. If he is, that wouldn't be working very good back then. They, they thought he was foolish. He suffers these things because this is God's will for the spread of the gospel. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, and boy, if this isn't different, if this isn't different from the, from the lure of the world, from the message that we get from them, he says to them, imitate me. This isn't a. It was famous to us today, but in their day, he was, this wasn't a famous preacher with a multi-million-dollar ministry and you know flying around in his own private jet, dining with royalty all the time, and saying, "Follow me, you know, be like me, live the good life now." This is a man who's suffering persecution everywhere that he goes, and thought of. As a fool by many. He's suffering um, that kind of verbal attack, and he's suffering literal physical persecution. And he's saying to the Corinthians, I suffer these things for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the elect, so that others will hear the gospel and come in, and so that God is glorified now, imitate me. So I think that's, that's part of what he has in mind there in verse 16. He's, he's saying, forsake the wisdom of this world and embrace the wisdom of God, which is foolishness to the world, and will bring about persecution because of that. Embrace that lifestyle. Servant is no greater than His Master. So imitate me in that sense. But then also, clearly, he's, he's talking ethics here. Christian ethics. He goes on to say in verse 17, That is why, that is, imitate me, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my way in Christ. So he says, Timothy is faithful. In other words, Timothy does what Paul is exhorting them to do. Timothy imitates Paul. 
Timothy imitates or follows Paul as, fo- as Paul follows Christ. And again, um, let's be clear on that. This is not just, just following a man. We're talking about following a man insofar as he is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, for example, um, he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So he says, imitate me and I'm sending you Timothy, basically, so that he can uh, remind you of my ways. So, so Timothy can, because he's faithful, he's a faithful follower, he's, he's faithful at mimicking, he can remind you of my ways. Well, what are Paul's ways? Well, we've, we've seen a lot of it already expressed, his, his um, faithfulness to the to the pure gospel, to the truth of the gospel. That is totally Christ-centered message. I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's, he's not pursuing um, the esteem of man. He's not pursuing worldly wisdom. He's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what He wants them to be about. He's all, all about doing the work of the kingdom, seeking the salvation of others and the glory of God. That's what his, his life is spent doing. So he, he says, imitate me. Follow me in this. Do what I do. Be like me. And you think about what he's already rebuked the Corinthians for here in their, in their relationships with one another. They're, they are divided, right? They're schisms. They esteem themselves above another instead of the other way around, which is what Paul taught, that we should esteem others better than ourselves. So he says, I'm, I'm sending you Timothy to remind you of these things. Let's, let's look at a, a couple of passages here um, just to, to be reminded ourselves of some of his teaching. Let's go to uh, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 9. We've, we've said, we've pointed out many times, and said many times, um, Christianity is, is lived out in, in covenant community. Christianity is lived out in relationships. I mean, it is all about how we relate to one another. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's all about how I relate to my wife or how I relate to my children. It's all about how I relate to brothers and sisters in the Lord or how I relate to my co-workers or how I relate to the woman at Walmart who just pushed her buggy right in front of me as I was headed for the cashier. That's where the rubber meets the road. Christianity. That's where it works itself out. And Paul's writings are full, just as Jesus' words we have recorded too, full of ethical teaching. In other words, how we are to relate to one another. Look at verse 9, Romans 12, 9. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you to remind you of my ways like I teach in every church everywhere. Well, here's an example. Verse 9, let love be genuine. 
abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's, that's good. And Paul says, if you, if you want something to compete in, you want, you want something to outdo each other in, um, you know, instead of making it how you dress on Sunday or, you know, your, who's got the best, biggest house or better car or fastest car, instead of all that, here's something you can outdo one another in. Honoring one another. Honoring one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. That's kind of interesting. I mean, a zealous sloth or a slothful zealot would be kind of an oxymoron, wouldn't it? So, uh, so it just stands to reason. Paul says, don't be slothful in, in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. It's the idea of endurance there. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Is this not practical? We were just talking back here in the back about how to make decisions. You know, how to know God's will and make decisions here. It doesn't get much more practical than this, does it? In other words, we're told how we're to act. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Exactly what the Corinthians are doing. Paul says, do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is good, isn't it? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you to remind you of these things. To remind you of, of my ways. And the things that I teach in every church, everywhere. Go back to 1 Corinthians here. He goes on to say, um, in verse 18, some are arrogant. Again, speaking to the church, the Corinthians, some of you are arrogant, puffed up. I always uh, like that phrase. Um, I mean, it's just, that's just such, an, uh, such a good picture, isn't it? Of pride, you know, and what Paul is saying. Is you, you're, you're puffed up and you need to be deflated. 
So that's that's that. You now all this sarcasm and and stuff that he's using is that's what it's designed to do, like needles in a balloon. I mean, just or you know, just deflate, pop pop that. Get get rid of the pride. It's destructive. And some of you are arrogant, Paul says, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. I will find out not to talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Not to talk, but their power. Look with me real quick at, um, again, Paul in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. More of Paul's teaching, uh, his ways, reminding uh, the Corinthians of through Timothy, his faithful son in the Lord. Second Timothy chapter three verse one. He writes here to Timothy that he just spoken about in Corinthians four. But understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That's Another way of saying puffed up. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we there? You reckon? Do you, do you see that? <laughs> it does. And usually, you know, when you see that phrase in the, in the New Testament, the last days, really, that's, that's, that's where we're at where all of church history has been. The last days is the time from, from Jesus' resurrection and ascension until He returns. That's the period of the last days. We're there. The stuff that Paul is describing here was happening in his own day. And unfortunately, you know, it's continued. It's happened ever since. And it's happening in our, our day. These things are relevant, right, to us now. Look at verse 5. This continuation of the sentence. I stopped in mid-sentence. That last phrase was lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, Paul says, in the last days, people are going to be characterized by all these things that he lists here. Holiest is it's, it's the polar opposite of Christian character. Exactly the opposite of what he's teaching us to do. He's saying this is what's going to characterize people in the last day. And he winds it up by saying that they have an appearance of godliness, 
but deny its power. Now back in 1 Corinthians, he said this, I'm coming to you. Um, some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. But in power. What, what, what is Paul talking about there? Is he, is he saying that Christians ought to be characterized by um, miraculous activity? That, that godliness is accompanied by um, open displays of power? In other words, if we're true Christians, then there's going to be manifestations of the power of God that are evident to all. Well, yes, but not in the way that a lot of people think of manifestations of the power of God. What are the manifestations of the power of God that Paul is looking for? Or what is it? It's a life of godliness. Everything that lists in 2 Timothy 3, I mean, it has nothing to do with whether or not they're casting out demons or speaking in tongues or prophesying, or raising the dead. When he says they have an appearance of godliness but deny the power, he's not saying, you know, this, this is a church that doesn't believe in miracles. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying this is the people, the ones he's describing in 2 Timothy 3, and what he's warning the Corinthians to not be, they're on the verge of becoming. This, this is a people who are not living godly lives. That's, that's the manifestation of power that he's talking about. He's talking about living in a Christ-like manner. So, if I'm looking at the list again in 2 Timothy 3. He says, in the last days there will be lovers of self. Well, what's the opposite of that? People who deny self, right? Who love others, who esteem others above themselves. Lovers, Lovers of money. Well, Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, so... Uh, you know, the opposite of that basically would be someone who's, who's, uh, who, who loves God. They don't live for this world, the temporal pleasures of this world. They're given to God and to the glory of God. Proud. The opposite, of course, being humble. Same with arrogant. Abusive. Loving. Disobedient to their parents. Well, then you would have those in submission as opposites. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Ungrateful would be those that are grateful. Unholy. Opposite would be those that are holy. Heartless. Unappeasable. Slander. You get the picture. You can can turn all of these around. Um, The opposites of them would be a godly lifestyle. And that's what Paul is encouraging. That's what he's encouraging the Corinthians to do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Mimic me. Act like like me. Because Paul is given to this. He's given to love for neighbor. 
and love for the Lord. He lives for the spiritual welfare of others and for the glory of God. That's what his whole life is about. That's, that's his testimony here. That's the reason he says we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless. We're fools for Christ's sake. Because they're totally sold out for the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power that Paul's looking for. So he says, some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not to talk of these arrogant people. It's easy to talk, isn't it? It's easy to profess Christianity, but that's, that's not the essence of the kingdom. That's what Paul says. When I come, I'll find out not, not to talk of these people, but their power. That is, what, what's, what are they living? What's their life look like? What is manifesting in their life? Is it the things that we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, for example? Is it the things that we see here in Corinthians, the pursuit of worldly wisdom, the esteem of man, disdain for the purity of the gospel and for God's servants? Which one is it? Paul says, I'll, I'll know their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, he says, verse 21, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love? In a spirit of gentleness. He's determined, he's determined, as any loving father would be, he's determined to get him right, back on the right track. How do you want to do it? Paul says, we can do it either way. Shall I come with a rod? A rod of correction, he's implying there. I mean, we can make this hard. Or shall I just come with love in the spirit of gentleness? In other words, are you going to submit... Are you going to submit to what I'm writing here? Are you going to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? Be deflated. Forsake your arrogance. Love one another. Give your life to the spiritual welfare of others. That is, seek the salvation of those that are lost and the edification of brothers and sisters in Christ and to the glory of God. Paul says, My mind's made up for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, he says, mimic me. Imitate me. Let's pray. Brothers, y'all can come on and prepare to serve as we pray. Father, we do thank You again for Your Word. And again for the work that You're doing within us by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We know that the kind of life that we're discussing here, Christ-likeness, 
is impossible for us in and of ourselves. And yet it is, it is a must for us as your children. So we thank you for your faithfulness. We do pray, Lord, for strength, spiritual strength. Conform us to the image of your Son for your glory. Father, we pray now as we prepare to celebrate this remembrance of what You've done for us. We ask for Your blessing upon the elements before us, the bread and the juice. Pray for Your wisdom, Lord, for, for every individual in this room. Enable us, Lord, to examine our own selves, discern our own heart. To know where we stand with You. And Lord, if there is anyone in this room that remains alienated from You, and has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pray now for your conviction and that this may be the time of surrender for anyone in that condition. Again, we thank you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.